You're listening to Heart of the Hunter, a serialized fantasy novel set in Koronai, the magical country. The story was written and performed by Sam Chubb. For more information about this podcast, including upcoming role-playing game releases associated with this novel, check out heartofthehunter.com. Now, please enjoy Heart of the Hunter. Chapter 22. Is that... Could that be hot food I smell? Raven asked. I'd nearly forgotten what it smelled like. A Sidalian woman with chestnut hair and sparkling green eyes curtsied slightly as she assisted others in carrying in hot food trays. Hello, my guests. I am called Mama Rosa, and it's in my keeping His Excellency has placed the honor of House Tenuviel, leastways it stands to hospitality, which we hold both an ancient and penipotent obligation, an ongoing blessing. I took the liberty of arranging a little luncheon, for I heard tell you only had cold pastries and cider this morning when you arrived, and the honor of the Count requires that we extend a much better sideboard than that. So, here we have not a few meat pies and relishes for them, some kettles of soup, some fresh bread, some savory greens and mushrooms, and the like. Here is a pot of tea and a pot of kava, and there is a jug of stream-chilled cold cider, and this is a beaker of fine cold water from the house spring. Is there aught else you'd like? If you'd have but the smallest wish, it is my greatest joy to know, and so knowing, to fulfill. Peter could not help but grin at the woman's largesse and her expansive nature, though he had thought himself unable to make merry this soon after the funeral. The sight and smell of the food filled him with hunger, and he saw that the effect passed to the rest of his crew. After the ceremony, they had been shown to a common solarium built into the side of the house, and now they sat around a trestle table and pulled up benches to attack the impromptu feast. Outside, the rain was still battering the windows, the light diffuse, but inside the fire in the hearth and the merry colors on the walls, together with the artfully composed and heartily consumed meal, served to fight back against the gray. Sir Valadane and the priestess Morile had joined the crew for this luncheon, carrying on gentle dinner conversation. Arn was the subject of much attention as the lunch party remarked on the exemplary healing he'd received. It was not until the board had been cleared and all had dispersed to the massively overstuffed cushions near the hearth that Sir Valadane asked for Peter's attention, calling him aside with an intent look. Sergeant Peter, will you walk with me for a while? I have need of your counsel. Peter looked back at his crew, enjoying themselves, and nodded. Although he'd really prefer to not spend any time at all with Valadane, it wouldn't do to upset their hosts. Not when the rain was still pouring down outside, the roads nearly impassable, and the ragtag remnants of an army of nail-tongues wandering around in the forest. Ah, surely, Valadane, let's walk together. Peter said. My thanks, Valadane said, and turned to show Peter a flight of stairs 
which led out into one of the many covered walkways at Tenuville. The rain was indeed pouring down, but the construction of the walkway held. The air was tinged with the sweet blossoms of apple trees elsewhere on the property and the dampness of the rain. Peter paused as he got away from the house and the ears of his crew. So, what do you want to speak about? Valadane nodded and began. You are our guest. We are happy to have you. Truly, Kenhill would not have given you that token had you truly not impressed him. And very few people do impress him. Peter nodded. Your pardon, Sergeant, but I, I just don't understand where I have failed you. Failed me? Sergeant, it's clear to me that I have failed in my honor and my duty. I do not understand how. Have we offended your religion, shamed you somehow, or perhaps served you too poor a meal? What is the cause for our failure, Sergeant? Be as honest with me as you care to be, without fear of reprisal. Peter settled to a bench built into a walkway support inside. He looked up at Valadane, shaking his head softly. He was shocked. It was not often that a landed knight treated him like a decent person, let alone an equal. It's not anything he done, sir. That I should assure you. It's just that, well, I've had my fair share of bad shakes, trusting the word of a noble. And yet I, I've given you no cause. It doesn't matter, sir. A knight is a knight is a knight. They're all the same. Scratch one, you have a scoundrel. Only one who does what he wants, under the guise of the rule of law. Valdane's eyes narrowed. You understand, of course, that should you not already enjoy the hospitality of my house, I might consider the things you say to be somewhat in need of correction. Peter stood. I don't seek your bloody gauntlet across my face. I think dueling is just as stupid as phrases such as measured retreats and unfortunate termination. I see. Well, I both agree and disagree with you. On one hand, many deaths have been claimed by the duel. Useless deaths and useless blood spilt. On the other, issues of honor are hardly stupid. What a man believes, what he stands for, the nature of his integrity, these are hardly trivial matters. For once, Valadane, you and I agree. The only problem is that the knights I've known. Well, let's just say, if they had an idea of what honor was, it was not obvious by their actions. Valadane's features softened. Then allow me to suggest that you have not seen every kind of knight. Indeed, if the chivalry you have witnessed heretofore has not included honor, then you may have by some reckoning never met a knight until today. Peter held his breath then, turned, and looked out at the rain. Words are easy, Valadine. Words do not cast. What of your actions? Ah, well... You will have to see those, Peter. But I tell you this. I have proven myself to those who matter most to me. 
it is not meet for a knight to boast of his deeds. Aye, you're right, Peter said. For a time they both watched and listened to the rain, saw the runnels of water reach their chosen channels, heard the song of the roof cistern as it refilled. Heartbeats later, Peter turned back to the knight. But that you say so, it was nearly enough to convince me that you cower whether I believe that is more than most. Certainly I've already outstripped the man my father has served his entire life. Your father is a squire, Valadane asked. Aye, and I was after him for a time, Peter said. Valadane nodded. So, you learn the ways of a knight from that. From that, perhaps a little. From stories, mostly. There were troubadours who would travel the land. The church had forbidden them to perform as they used magic and were outlanders. But they would set up their stage in the deep woods and I would steal away from the farm to go. It was an open secret where they were. And once there, I cut my teeth on the stories of knights of old. Sir Eowyn, who rescued the Queen of Lenargen and helped restore her to the throne. Sir Karn, who, with his dragon lover, killed the Dark Lord Solfar and became a star. Dame Angren and her sword of faith Valadane nodded. And yet they were just tales. You know now, as an adult, that bard's tales and the truth are hardly the same thing. Aye, but that doesn't matter. Defensible, I know. But I know that there's a better way to be. A higher standard. There is a justice. There is mercy. There's honor and there's duty. These aren't fancies. They're real. They breathe and they live. In me, if nowhere else. Valdane nodded. In me as well, Peter. In me as well. Who did your father serve? Peter spat into the rain. A scoundrel by the name of Garrick. I fought and bled for him. Nearly died for him. I see. And he was a knight, Valdane asked. Knighted by the church in my country? Given land? It's a bit different in your system here. Knights are the highest title you can take outside the church. I see. Well, and tell me, Peter, you spoke of honor. Do you feel that you've acted honorably in your life? Valdane asked. I guess. I ain't much to compare it to. Well, Peter, I have a request to make of you. Understand that it is in no way conditional. You will still receive guestship, as is your right. Go ahead. Will you spend some time with me and my men? We could hunt or just ride. We could show you some of County Tenuville. We have some beautiful views. The rain will lessen in a day. Your factor is away with his kind. And I think you'll enjoy it. All right. One question. Why? Because I want you to know what true knighthood is. Not the stuff you grew up with. I want you to meet Lunar Genti knights who have been trained, who have lived by their code and duty. I want you to know them. I don't think to convince you with words or tales, but do you give me a chance, and I will show you a true knight. You'll forgive me if I'm somewhat devious, and I don't know why it matters, but all right, I'm game. Once this thrice damned brain is gone, 
I'm sick of it. The side door opened, and two women of Tenuviel emerged from the house with decorations for the Kaylee, carrying merry smiles with them, and baskets of still wet, redolent blossoms twined in ivy taken from the garden. They curtsied to Valadane before moving past the men, almost skipping in their steps. I must say, you weren't lying about the preview, survey, Peter remarked after the women were out of earshot. Valadane laughed. Yes, Sergeant, let us go and prepare for the Cayley, which will no doubt give you opportunity to see many more examples of our native Lunargenti beauty. Raven suspected a thief. Although she could lay hands on her own rucksack easily enough, her clothing was missing. Hanging in place of her wet, stained leathers, which she had unpacked to dry, was a green wool dress, brightly dyed and embroidered with Lunargenti decorative trim. She opened the door, wearing only a towel, and yelled out into the hall, Hey, you! She couldn't remember the name of the Sidalian woman she'd been introduced to who was supposed to be watching her, but she hoped to make enough noise to merit some attention. A young Lunargenti girl answered the call, however. How may I help, honored guest? You're not the Sidal. Where is she? Mama Rosa has gone to help prepare for the Kaylee, my lady. Is there something I may help you with? My name is Kirsten. Kirsten. Do you know where in the frozen hell of Vavasor my leathers are? Your leathers, ma'am? Kirsten asked. Yes. Two pair of leather trousers, two leather vests, boots and accoutrements. Where are they? I had them, then I bathed, and when I came back, they were missing. Oh, Mama Rosa took them to the tanners to be treated. She said they were terrible raw, could start to fall apart. They needed oiling and polishing. I hope it's okay that she did that. She tends to do things like that. Sort of makes choices for others sometimes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Great. What am I supposed to wear now? Kirsten's eyebrows went up. She uh, left you uh, adequate clothing for the Kaylee tonight, ma'am. Raven turned to look at the dress anew, mouth agape. You mean she expected me to wear that? Yes, ma'am. If you don't mind, I'm fairly certain it will fit you, as you look to be about t Lady Tenuvial's size, and it fits her perfectly. Shall I help you try it on, ma'am? You don't have to worry. I'm training to be a lady's maid. I know my way around quite a bit. Her nose wrinkled as she looked at the dress again. You really think I could wear something like this? Aye, ma'am. I think it would look so beautiful on you. You would turn the head of them that are at the party most assured. Raven regarded the Lunargenti girl. Oh, you, you think that, do you? Kirsten nodded emphatically. Oh, I. I think it matches well your color and your figure. With a shrug that said, What the hell? Raven sighed. Well, all right, then. Show me. Put me into this thing. Let me see what you mean. Though the resultant struggle was a bit more complex than simply donning a dress, as she had to also pick out shoes, have her hair brushed, and negotiate the presence or absence of Kirsten-supplied and Kirsten-mandated undergarments. 
When all was finished, she stood in front of the one looking glass at the end of the hall and allowed that she didn't look half bad. Thanks, Kirsten. You were a big help. I've worn fancy dresses before, but this one feels different somehow. It's more comfortable. I can move in it. Feels less like a shackle. Kirsten dimpled. And what good would a Kaylee dress be, ma'am, if it weren't good enough to move in? Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to be getting to my own frock. Of course. Thank you, Kirsten. You've been a great help. And, uh, do tell me when the leathers are ready, okay? Of course, Lady Raven. See you at the Kaylee. Kirsten said, curtsied, and bustled off. Raven turned, closed the door to her room, and locked it. She'd not been a moment alone since she'd gotten here, and this would be the perfect time to explore. With the Kaylee not for several hours, she wanted to see what was what. So, moving as silently as possible with the swish of her gown, she made her way to the stairs and the rest of House Tenuville. "'Good day, ma'am,' said a servant to Raven as she took the last step on a long flight of stairs and stood on the priceless Amishkin carpet in a corridor that seemed to stretch to infinity in both directions. "'Good day. Uh, could you tell me which way to the Cayley Hall?' "'Oh, ma'am must be one of the cousins. "'To be clear, ma'am, if you but follow this hall here, "'you'll come to a spiral stair that leads you to the side door. "'After that, it's just a brief walk under the cover to the Cayley Hall.' "'Thank you,' Raven said, blushing a little under the servant's attention. "'No, you don't have to guide me. I can find it myself. Thanks.' "'As you wish, ma'am,' the servant said with a bow, and left.' She tread down that long corridor, her feet sinking a little into the Amishkin runner. Opulence greeted her eyes at every turn. There were exquisitely woven tapestries all along the wall, shining silver wall sconces, an arched door leading to a veritable museum full of knick-knacks and small, highly portable items. She stopped for a moment and turned back to see if she'd been followed. The corridor behind her was empty, in front of her, also vacant. The archway leading to this small museum was decorated with a lot of Lunar Genti folderol, but there was no gate to keep the curious from visiting. Against her better judgment, Raven found herself turning and being drawn towards the small room. The palms of her hands itched, and her eyes picked up on many small, incredibly valuable, highly stealable things. Bending over a fidget board, she was delighted to see that the figurines on the board on one side was silver, on the other, gold. They were intricately detailed by what must have been master craftsmen, the figurines depicting Lunagenti nobility from some age Raven could not tell. She touched a footman and pushed it forward gently, idly, without even thinking. Without warning, another footman on the other side of the board moved to counter her move, and she grinned at the magic of it. She pushed another footman forward and saw the invisible opponent match her move with another canny one. She brought her griffin in and captured a priest, and was countered by a sorcerer moving to threaten her manacore. She laughed to herself, surprised, when a voice came up from behind her. So, we have another fidget player. I thought I was the only one who cared about the game. Raven turned slowly so as to not betray her manner, and the captured priest she still held in her hand slipped into the sleeve of her dress. 
Ah, my lord, you have me at an advantage, Raven said, for in form and manner this could only be Lord Tenuvio. He was dressed in a soft gray tunic with a rich burgundy velvet cloak, his long black hair going to gray in his elderhood, which for a Lunar Genti must be old indeed. I happen to know who you are, Mistress Raven, because my knight, Sir Valadane, told me all about you. I didn't think I'd find you in my personal treasury, to be honest, but it is nice to see someone getting some use out of a toy that I rarely have time for these days. This, this is your treasury? Raven asked. The priest figurine dropped into her hand in full view now. Yes, it is. The archway you see here has a very powerful ward on it. I'm curious to find out how you broke it. In fact, if you tell me, I'll be more than happy to forget I found you here. She set the priest down on the table in its proper place, and that immediately signaled the board to reset the positions of all its pieces. My lord, I assure you, I have no spell nor artifice to defeat your wards. I hope you'll forgive my somewhat misleading attire. I am a mercenary soldier. My clothes were somewhat ruined by the rain for the moment. Shh, shh. Miss Raven, I'm not truly thinking you were here to steal from me. The wards read intent as well. Your wards must be non-functioning. That's the only thing I can think of. Excuse me. Gareth, may I see you a moment? Lord Tenuviel said, and gestured to a young page passing by them in the hallway. Yes, my lord. Would you come here, please? Aye, the boy said, and started for the archway. But he only took one step towards the opening, and, as soon as he was about to pass over the threshold... He was instantly repulsed by a field of magical power that pushed him back unharmed. Thank you, Gareth. So you see, Miss Raven, the ward is fully functional. This is... quite strange. I will have to speak to Malkin about this. But, no matter, I know you would never be so gauche as to dishonor my hospitality in this way. You are a woman of honor, it's clear. Thank you, my lord. You are also well-spoken, Miss Raven, but with a name like Raven, one wonders. I actually was educated in Blackpool. I am a scribe. As well as a soldier. Truly. A very interesting combination. Well, we have a few hours before the Cayley. Would you like to see our tapestries? Tapestries, my lord? Yes, they're really quite lovely. Some of them are even from House Oakenheel, out of Jesquan. Truly. Well, uh, I believe I have a minute or two to spare for your lovely tapestries. Most excellent, Tuniviel said, offering Raven his arm. And this is my great-uncle, Vala Tuniviel, Baron of Deer Run. You can see the weaver depicted him with hounds surrounding him and a bow over his shoulder. This was a man who loved the hunt, loved it as much as he loved breathing, as much as he loved life itself. Next to him, around the corner, is his wife, my aunt. I see. This is all very fascinating. I wonder, though, are we missing the Cayley? Nonsense. They'll hardly start without me. Do I bore you, Raven? What? Oh, no. Uh, why would you think that? You're yawning. Please, just hear me out one last time. I... 
And then Raven turned the corner and looked up and saw a tapestry which depicted herself, perfect in every detail. There were even ravens playing in the border on the tapestry's edge. This is my aunt, the Lady Desiandra Corbeau-Tanuvio, Baroness of Run. Why, uh, she looks, um, very, uh, attractive. Do you notice anything about her, Raven? Hmm? Can't say that I do. Can't say I've ever met her. I dare say you wouldn't have, either. She died well before the Silver Restoration, but her son still lives, and has her look as well. I think I'm ready to go to the Cayley now. But of course. But first I have a question for you. Yes? You are clearly half Lunargenti. Which half? My father's side. Did you know that children of love among the Lunargents are considered just as valid as children of marriage? Our justice has no difference in parentage of either. No, I didn't know that. Please, I think it's time that I go. One more question, Raven. What is it? Raven, did your mother ever tell you your father's name? She shook her head, no. She just told me that he put her aside when she refused to go out again on the open road. She could no longer live the life of the freebooter. She was a freebooter, a wizard. Raven thought about her mother's book, tucked away in her ward box. Thought about the glowing magical gem the leather-worked armed guard. She looked into Tenuvial's eyes. She thought she was a wizard. I don't know now. She never did anything wizardly in front of me. Mostly, she was just a con artist and a curfhead. Lord Tenuvial winced at that, but nodded. It is said that the absence of magical practice in one's life can leave quite a hole. Yeah, I agree. Now can I go? Certainly. It was good to spend time with you, Raven, and if there's anything, anything at all that I can do for you, please ask. She paused and then nodded slowly. Actually, uh, there is something. Just name it. You seem to say you had a court wizard. What's his name? Malkin? Yes. I've recently come into the possession of some things that I'm not sure about. Would you mind if I consulted him about them? Not in the least. In fact, let us go and see him now. I don't want to... Nonsense. Your wish is my command. Thank you, my lord. Duke? Hardly. Count. My given name is Haramile. You may call me what you like. I answer to most anything. Thank you, my lord Count. Shall we? Tenuvial said and they both strode off down the corridor. And where, my lady, did you find this? The Count had introduced her to Malkin, his magister, and had departed, making as an excuse his need to check on the preparations for the Cayley. Raven sat up straight and tried to put on her best Blackpoolian merchant's daughter manner. An inheritance, as I asked, I just want to know what it is. There's a glamour of magic or something on it. There's some kind of power in the gemstone, too. She took a moment to look around the magister's office, which was part library 
part laboratory, part ritual chamber, and part storage room. A pair of winged, dark stone gargoyles peered down at her from atop one of the bookcases. The wizard held the stone in his hand, head cocked as if he were listening to it. Ay, there is your right, Mistress Raven. The mage of Tenuvial Manor was an old Lunargenti, with gray eyes so shining they almost seemed to be reflective, and white hair that he kept cropped, short, in a military style. Well, my lord magister, can you give me some kind of indication as to what they may be? I have little in the way of wealth, but I do have a trade good here. I know that your kind is always scribbling in bound books, and I have one bound with blank pages, sure to provide you with many hours of delight. She produced her mother's blank journal, wishing silently that she had had time to scrape off the pretentious frontispiece. What, this? You wish to barter knowledge for this? As you may have guessed, I am not much for writing or poetry, and I am no wizard. So it follows that, he smiled reading the frontispiece, this was your mother's. She was a wizard. She always claimed to be a wizard, Magister, but she didn't have a license from the crown or anything, and I think she tricked the tester for Starmoon House to get in. Hmm. Have you ever thought of going into magic? Raven shook her head no. I don't have the gift. I see. Well, it is not for a lack of intelligence, Mistress Raven, I can tell you that, he said, smiling into Raven's eyes. He began to flip through the pages, page after page of handwriting showing up as he did so. With a start, Raven half cried out. She grabbed the book from his hands and held it up to her eyes, for the pages were no longer blank, but filled with strange squiggles and glyphs that she could not read. The letters began to fade even as she held it. This was blank before, I swear! Mistress Raven, do you watch the page as you hold it? She did, and to her astonishment, the glyphs began to slowly vanish, turning gray, and then fading to nothingness. The magister chuckled. The ink has powdered valstone in it, which glows in response to a focused intent by a practitioner of magic, a common practice to protect one's secrets from the uninitiated. Raven scoffed, handed him back the book. Let me get this straight. This book is really what it says it is? Malkin nodded, opening the book again and showing her the arcane writing as the glyphs slowly began to manifest again. Even better, my lady. This book is a book of spells, charms, and secrets. Indeed, it could perhaps be more valuable than ten times the other two trinkets before me. You should not part with it. Raven nodded and sighed. Then I shall have to return to you another time. I have nothing with which to pay you, sir. Malkin's smile was mysterious. That's just as well, Mistress Raven, as I have not yet asked for payment. Indeed, Lord Tenuvial was very clear about the need to help you. I rarely charge those Lord Tenuvial asked me to help. He is my liege, after all. Raven stopped at that. Half a moment. He has no reason. The hospitality of the house doesn't involve. Why would he do such a thing? Lord Tenuvial let it be known merely by bringing you to me, that he has taken an interest in you, is all. There are occasionally those who fall under the scope of his attention. 
you are one of them. Count yourself lucky, as he rarely does so, and never does so lightly. I see. Well, I'm not going to be his girlfriend or anything. Malkin laughed at that. <laughs> no, of course not. He has happily remarried, after the death of the previous lady, Tenuviel, and I do not think he adopts the Nemean style of marriage, so you are safe. Okay, it's just that I've, I'm not used to this. Okay, so tell me, what are these things? Give me a few days to research them. The house has an extensive library, and there are perhaps a few experts I may draw upon confidentially by letterbox. I will keep all of these things safe, Raven, and you may have them back unharmed when I am done. Raven nodded. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Okay. Thanks, Magister. She rose and shook his hand. You're not a bad guy. I do try. Now, shoo, you should be at the Kaylee anyway, looking as lovely as you do. Raven found that she had to fight the urge not to curtsy in response to his compliment. Old habits die hard. Thanks. Uh, what's wrong, Magister? Don't you dance? Kaylee's are far too loud for me to enjoy them. Give me a quiet book and a cup of mulled wine, and I'll be much better off for it. Have it your way. See you tomorrow? Give me a few days, mistress. Then we'll see. I'll send a page to summon you. Oh, okay. Thanks. She grinned and was off. Finding that a page had been left waiting for her, it wasn't long before she was being led through the sprawling house, finally, to the Kaylee. House Tenuvial is full of nooks and crannies, areas where one can be alone with oneself or others. There was one such nook halfway between the floors of House Tenuvial, where the mercenaries were being guested. A cupola. Chandra had found the cupola, sharing it with one of the household cats, a grey mouser, Tom, who had gone from studied reticence to fierce insistence on petting in a manner of minutes. Ah, there you are, Alabar said, coming upon her on his journey back to the floor to fetch his things. Hello, Patra. That was a lovely luncheon, wasn't it? Chandra said, smiling. Indeed it was. And you found a quiet place to digest, I see, with help. Aye, Patra, I did. I was to nap before the Kaylee, but truth be told, I've slept enough for a while. I really do like the sound of the rain. And Mr. Tomcat here is quite insistent that I stay here and contemplate it. Indeed, Alabar said, grinning, and decided to take a seat next to her, extending a scritch to the cat as he did. You know, I'm surprised. Most of the time, animals don't like me much. I've never had a pet before, Patra. Not a cat or a dog. Horses don't like me much either. Alabar nodded softly. It's your talent, I'm afraid, he said, wincing. I've read that it can have that effect before you learn to control it. She nodded and looked down at the cat in her lap. He doesn't seem to mind. Yes, the Nargenti cats are a curious breed. I would dare say your magic might even attract this kind. 
Alabar said, chucking the strong, muscular tom under his chin. The creature lay on Chandra's lap as if he were a prince, and she his throne. I hope I can at least learn not to do harm to others, Patra. I have nightmares that I might lose my temper now. You have come far in a small span of days, Lady Chandra. How do you mean, brother? I feel I've come far, but perhaps it's been falling far. Chandra, we've spoken of this before. The light knows your purpose, your intent. Do you think that using your hands to save another's life is a bad use of your power? No, but my power is destructive. Fire. Death. You can't say that these things are of the light. Alabar sucked on his teeth a little, then turned to look her in the eyes. You are almost right, except that I remember that fire is itself only deadly when it is out of control. Put to good use, the fire of the winter hearth can keep a good soul alive. The fire can cleanse a churgeon's tool so that an arrow can be cut from a wound. And it is well known that occasionally there must be a cleansing flame in the deep woods to promote the growth of the new. Nay, when a power is out of your control, that is when the shadow can use it against you. When you lack the wit or wisdom to use it properly, that is when the frigid emptiness can scour your soul. My brother, you sound as if you may be preaching at me. What have I done to deserve that? Alabar stopped and looked chagrined. Forgive me, lady. I've been heavy-handed. I merely feel very strongly about this issue. Well, and it isn't as if I've had much in the way of choice, is it? You and the crew won't let it be. I never wanted this power. I never asked anyone for it. But that you have it. It is... It is incumbent upon you, on the honor of the light, to learn to use it properly, to control it utterly, to never let it rule you. Chandra nodded. Alabar took a ring out of his pocket and offered it to her, a copper ring laid out on the palm of his wide hand. This was given to me by the gypsies. I do not know its magic, but Arn says that it is a ring blessed by the ancestors to provide clarity of vision. I wish to give it to you, Chandra. I think sometimes the way forward for you is fraught with shadows, not of your own making. This may help you. Chandra first looked at the proffered ring as if it were a snake about to bite her. Then she turned and looked into her friend's eyes and saw he was sincere. She found herself opening up her hand and accepting the body-warm circle of simple copper. She peered down at it and, impulsively, slid it on her finger, her eyes closing as she braced for whatever magic might occur. Nothing happened. Alabar smiled slowly. Not a very showy thing, is it? And yet my sense and Aaron's both say that it has some kind of enchantment. I'm afraid you're just going to have to be patient, Chandra, and find out what kind of wisdom it will bring. Do you feel any wiser? 
And how would I know that, Patra? Alabar laughed. That's just it. If I were to answer, it would only prove that I am myself not wise. Ah, well. Wear it, will you? We may suss out its powers soon enough. But for now, be assured that its power is benign. Chandra nodded slowly. As you wish, Patra. I'm trusting you. I've no wish to get chucked in Rathurkin with the rest of the heretics, she said. Alabar nodded at that, his face turning white as she said it. Patra, wh what's wrong? She said, worried, and the tone in her voice had the tomcat up and off her lap to bound away in the silence that followed. Finally, Alabar spoke. Rathurkin Abbey, Alabar said softly. I don't suppose you know. No, you couldn't have. Patra, the Abbey at Rathurkin Cliffs, it, it was a place that our parents used to promise to send us if we did wrong. A nightmare place, then. A place of punishment for heresy and sin, Alabar asked. Chandra nodded softly. Isn't it so? Alabar shook his head no. It was a a place of learning, of understanding, uh, tolerance, peace, co coming to know the light as a union of all, not as the cold, hard heart of the sun. We learned a great deal from Father Jacob there. We were taught a great deal more about ourselves and our faith. Patra, I had no idea. But Chandra, I must confess something to you. I was sent there, originally, as a heretic. You? Patra? Her eyes grew wide. Alabar nodded. I was copying forbidden texts for the High Holy Council. And for that you were imprisoned? Chandra said, confused. No. The copying was part of my job. I was a young priest, and we all had to perfect our scribing and begin the rudiments of translations. No. Chandra, it wasn't the copying that did it. My crime was the reading of the text while I was copying it. Chandra paused for a moment to consider that. They expected you to copy it without reading it? That's... Nonsense! My father had me copy our ledger out every season just for safekeeping. If I hadn't read the ledger, I wouldn't have been able to understand where to put what number. It is nonsense, Chandra. And yet I assure you they took it quite seriously. I was whipped, and with the lashes still healing on my back, I was unceremoniously shipped to Rathurkin. Luckily, when I arrived, I discovered that the rule of order of Rathurkin had somewhat changed from the original order the church had mandated. Father Jacob had rose as abbot, and although he did not free us to go wander the countryside, he engaged each and every one of us heretics and prisoners of the church, and, one by one, won us over to his way of thinking. Which is... Chandra asked. Observe, child, Alabar said, holding out the prism he wore on a necklace around his neck. 
The prism was soon glowing with his inner light, and that light split into a fan of a rainbow on the wall. The light is all-encompassing. Every color that exists is part of it. Can we be no less accepting of differences? Can we be no less encompassing, turning away none? That is what Father Jacob taught us. I see, which, in and of itself, is also a heresy, Chandra said quietly. Yes. A heresy which allows us to extend absolution to sorcerers. A heresy which allows us to work with other religions as long as they walk in the light. A heresy which commands us to use our talents to the best of our ability for the good, stinting nothing. Now, if you wish to condemn me, you may, Alabar said quietly. Chandra shook her head. No, Patra, I will not condemn you. But I do want to know something. Alabar nodded. What? How may I join your heresy? Chandra asked, quietly, but seriously, a smile on her face. Alabar looked away, laughing and shaking his head, and then turned back to her, his eyes clear and calm. I didn't expect that. You just did, I think, Lady Chandra. You just did. You've been listening to Heart of the Hunter, a Coronai Chronicles story. Heart of the Hunter is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. Fireheart Foundry also produces Fledgling, a Leaden Universe science fiction novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. The Bears Grove Podcast. Dragonkin, the podcast for kids and gaming. The Square One Podcast, and Vibrant Living. Find out more about the Fireheart Foundry at fireheartfoundry.com. This podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use, license 2.5. Music is provided by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you back to our fire real soon.